Hi, I'm Dale Murphy, former Major League Baseball player and two-time National League NL MVP, father of eight, married to Nancy Murphy and a grandfather to 15. And I'm excited to be on with Ed today on From the Heart podcast. This From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, namely scale, sale, and succession, can often result in costly and confusing journeys. But the good news is it doesn't need to be that way. At Orange Kiwi, we help our clients succeed where others have failed by coming alongside them to help them navigate the challenges others simply aren't able to. We understand how to help you avoid that costly and confusing journey that comes with realizing the results that you really want. Visit our website today at orangekiwillc.com and use the code HLG2021 to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation and find out for yourself how we can help you gain greater clarity, confidence, and control while experiencing less stress and more satisfaction. You have a lot of trouble bragging about yourself, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well... Yeah, you, you, you struggled to get through a two-time MVP and, you know, golden, you know, golden glove and all of that. But hey, 15 grandkids, you could talk about that all day. I, I always remember someone once said, don't be so humble. You're not that great. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, only the great need to be humble. It, the rest of us it didn't just say it to me. I just, I just read it somewhere and I was like, yeah, when, you know, when you think in the, in the, the big scheme of, of life, you, you play baseball, don't be. <laughs> yeah, keep it in perspective. Dale, so anyway, you didn't thought, cure cancer, right? Yeah, I thought that, yeah, right. I wasn't Mother Teresa. I oh mean, my gosh. I always thought that was funny, but thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on. No, it's a pleasure. It's great to connect with you again. Uh, Dale and I, I think we connected through LinkedIn initially. And then, uh, you know, like probably a lot of his stalkers, I reached out until he reached back. And uh, we've had a couple of great Zoom conversations. We've actually had breakfast together up in Utah a couple months back, and uh, it's just been wonderful. So let me brag about Dale for a moment and then just kind of, we're just going to, you know, for, for those who are listening to the for, for the first time to the From the Heart podcast, and I get that that'll be a lot of you today because of my guest. My objective for this podcast is really just to get to the heart of people. My last name is Heart, so obviously the name of the podcast is a play on my last name, From the Heart. But really, that's what I hope to accomplish in every conversation with my guests is really get into their heart. Uh, You know, we'll talk about, you know, Dale played 18 years in the big leagues, most notably for the Braves. Most of us, my age, I'm 57. Most of us, you know, a little bit younger or a little bit older than I am, watch Dale on TBS as the Braves were on everybody's cable TV channel along with the Cubs back, especially in the 80s when cable TV was so new. Um, he won the MVP back to back. I think only four outfielders in the history of baseball have ever accomplished that. That's pretty special. See, these are the things you won't say about yourself, Dale, but I'll talk about it all day long. Uh, he won the Silver Slugger Award, which is basically the best batting average by position in, in baseball. And he won that four straight years in the 80s. You did these things when I was 82 is when I graduated from high school. So I'm like getting in the heyday of my baseball fandom. Huge Dodger fan. As you know, we've already talked yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, And I apologize, by the way, for our sweep of you guys over the last three days. That's all I'll say about that, at least now. No, no, no promises that I won't do it again. But for now, that's all I'm going to say. Thank you for apologizing. Yeah, (laughs) no problem. (laughs) Golden Glove Award, five straight years again in 82 to 86. Uh, For those who are not big baseball fans, the Gold Glove is given to the best defensive player. So not only MVP, best offensive player at a position, but also best defensive player at a position. That's very rare that you get somebody that hits for average, hits homers, 
plays great defense. Um, 398 home runs. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, he's a member of the Oregon Sports Hall of Fame, the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, and the most impressive one to me, the world's, I can't even read this one without starting to tear up because this is the Dale Murphy that I followed for years, the World Sports Humanitarian Hall of Fame. Yeah, that 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 was a, a special day and uh, went in with, uh, actually went in with Julius Irving. Oh, nice. You and Dr. Dr. J. J. That's all right. That's all right. Good company. That was cool. So, you know, the accolades are obvious. The, the, the career, 18 years. Um, let's just talk about the elephant in the room first that comes up a lot. I, I've had the opportunity to get to know Alan Trammell a little bit. And Tram was one of those guys, too, that was kind of on the cusp of the Hall of Fame, didn't get voted in initially, and, and then just recently through the Veterans Committee, I believe, made it in. I know in that article by Wright Thompson, the ESPN article that we talked about, um, it's mentioned a lot. I, I know it's probably not something you think about much, but what are your thoughts? I mean, I just, I'd be curious to just kind of get your take. Not, you know, you're not going to yeah. sit here and like campaign for the Hall of Fame. I know you well enough to know you're not going to do that, but um, just, I'd love to just get your thoughts. And I, I've read a little bit about what your kids have said and how they've campaigned for you, which yeah. I think is really cool. Can you just yeah, talk about was, the Hall of Fame, what that means to you? Yeah. Yeah. That was really nice. What my kids did um, during that time. Uh, so Alan Trammell is perfect example, um, and I don't want to get into the weeds too much, and right. there is a little more detail about it, but the Hall of Fame actually changed the way the, the quote-unquote Veterans Committee now works. It, they divided the players, well, they noticed that the Veterans Committee was, it, it, nobody was going in from the 70s, 80s, 90s now, uh, but a lot of guys were going in that played 80 years ago or a hundred years ago. So they decided, and I'm very grateful. It's given players like me and Alan Trimble, Tr Alan Trammell was voted in on this, this new system, mm -hmm. the era, the eras. So there's the, I think I'm in the modern era and it has a, it has a, a designated year time frame, like from 75 to 93, I think. Um, and Lee Smith, Alan Trammell, and I'm, I'm forgetting some uh, absolutely that went in, uh, Ted Simmons. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm very thankful for the, the new Veterans Committee era uh, program because now what happens, and then they rotate the eras. There's three eras and uh, not to belabor the point, but the point is I will get on a ballot well, I have to be approved to get on the ballot of that modern era committee, a uh, modern era grouping. And then every three years there, there will be uh, uh, 16 um, uh, members of the hall of fame will be executives, writers. Uh, I think there's a couple players on it and there's 16 on it. And you get on that ballot and if you get 12, again, 75%, mm -hmm. you go into the hall of fame. So it's, it, it doesn't make it any easier, even with that group of 16, you still need 75% and you have other guys on the ballot that are. Yeah. The, and so the, the thing that's advantageous for me and other players like me uh, is I, I get discussed pretty in detail every three years. That's cool. And that's, that's, that's all you can ask for. Uh, and so, you know, my feelings, uh, I'm thankful for the change. It's gonna give me some uh, more chances um uh you know for the the rest of the years here 
after being off the ballot, I was very thankful. I was on the ballot for 15 years, which is a hard thing to do, really, when you think about it. There's guys, uh, Ed, you know this, that, that there's a, a, if you don't get a certain percentage while you're on the ballot, you go off the ballot. Right. And, and what happens is because some people will be voting, they'll see a name and they'll go, well, this guy will be on the ballot, you know, in five, six years. Well, so they don't vote for him. And I think some players' careers that should have been considered are just, you know, because of the system, didn't get considered. So all I can say is I'm thankful I was on the ballot. I got enough to be on that ballot 15 years. I get talked about. And uh, I, I've always felt that I probably shouldn't go in unless I feel like I belong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I feel like there's a spot for me there. Yeah. Obviously, it's not a first ballot. Uh obviously uh and it, i figured it was going to take a while and so i'm grateful to be considered i mean it, it uh i have some people that are really pulling for me i have a lot of support and i'm thankful for the new system so we'll we'll see what happens i don't know when i when this modern era comes up again uh covid has kind of messed that schedule up yeah. so it'll probably be a couple of years from now what was your goal growing up as a kid as far as baseball was concerned so i I didn't really <laughs> have any idea, you know, back then I, uh, I played baseball. I did. I, I, my parents signed me up for wrestling. Uh, I played basketball. Wrestling didn't go too well. I came home and my sister, I tried to show her what I learned and my sister pinned me. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, that's not going to be my sport. Yeah. I was like, okay, that was, you know, just, <laughs> I'm not ready to be a wrestler, you know, so I played everything. I honestly didn't really, you know, back in those days, seventies, obviously you don't have a lot of information except game of the week, you know, and mm -hmm. sporting news. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to live in an area with, with baseball, my dad, I born and raised in Portland, Oregon, but for two of those years, we were living in the Bay area. So I, I went to uh, Oakland A's games and, you know, Willie Mays, of course, became my favorite going to the Giants games. And I never, my dad said, I actually said one day at a Giants game that I'm going to work here someday. Nice. Very cool. Well, <laughs> he was I right. Just, my dad uh, a little said, bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think my dad said to himself, yeah, you know, maybe he's going to be selling peanuts. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. I'll be taking your ticket today. Sir. And then I went back to Portland uh, and, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, played high school. And then the scouts started watching me and I was like, man, I guess I could get drafted And my junior and senior years were really good. And then it kind of snuck up on me. And I, uh, you know, I, it was just kind of one of those things that gave me enough money to skip college. And, you know, I'm going to go give this a whirl. And my first few years weren't that good. And then I, I started getting bigger and stronger and started hitting some home runs and we can get into my career. It, it, it uh, took some detours, um, but I didn't have any goals except, you know, to play probably American Legion baseball. I mean, yeah. I did not have any concept of being able to play professional baseball until I got drafted, really. At what point, I know you got, you were a catcher and then moved to the outfield. At what point in your career, and I, I again, I do, we can talk about your career and everything because it's fascinating and I love it, but, you know, the, the man behind the career, I think, is is uh is even more fascinated from what i know about you at what point in your career did you get to the point where you thought 
you know, we all get to a point. I've been in my job currently for 10 years, and I think I was probably four or five years in where I finally felt like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing now. You know, I'm starting to know the people. I know the lay of the land. I know how to do my job. I can always do it better, and I still want to strive to do it better. But it took me a few years to get to the point where I thought, okay, I kind of got this. Was there a point where you just thought, I'm not just here now for a little while. If I stay healthy, I'm here for a long time, and I might make something out of this? Yeah, I got drafted in 74, and that that moment uh, probably did not come till, well, 1978, you know, I got two September call-ups in 76 and 77, limited success. Uh, Because we weren't doing that well, uh, they were moving a lot of us young guys pretty quick. 1978 was my first full year, but I don't think I really had a thought that I was going to play for (laughs) multiple years. Yeah. Probably until, you know, 79, where I actually got hurt that year. But my first month, man, I, I, I had a great first month. Nice. I had a great, a great April. Then I got hurt. And, but I was like, man, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to, I can do this. My position wasn't really secure yet where I was going to play. But my hitting, I was like, I, I can hit at this level. You can hit, they'll find a spot for you, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the, you know, drafted as a catcher, had problems throwing as a catcher. Bobby moved, Bobby Cox moved me to first base. A lot of people don't remember Bobby's early years, but they were my early years too. And, you know, he changed, he saved my career, got me to the outfield. And, uh, and then it just became, like you said, you, you get into a position where you're like, I, I got this. Yeah, I got to figure it out. Doesn't mean it's going to go perfect. Yeah, exactly. But you're, yeah, you're confident that you feel like a veteran, you know, and then yeah. you can go to spring training. You're not trying to make the team. Spring training becomes more enjoyable. Getting you yourself know? ready for the season rather than trying to prove yourself at that point. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, so probably, you know, mid '78 and the first half of '79. Yeah. I thought, man, I, I could stay here well if I could find a position. There you go. 1982, you won your first of back-to-back MVPs. Which one was tougher, 82 or 83? They always say winning your second championship's harder than the first because everybody's got a target. Not that people are targeting you because people want that MVP award. There might be some. But as far as, you know, which of those two seasons was the tougher season for you and why? Uh, which one was? Which one was either, was either of those seasons tougher than the other? for like injury or just yeah, you know was, how it went. yeah probably yeah 83 just because i had won it in 82 and i was kind of like well how do you you know Not how that, do you yeah. yeah how do you <laughs> what what's going to be the expectation and then i ended up having a better year than 82 and and won the mvp again and it it, it really taught me a, you know a lot about kind of just channeling you know success and and ups and downs and the old thing that you can only really control what you can control. I don't know what I'm going to do in 1983, but I'm going to work harder and get as prepared as I possibly can and use that as a motivation 82 instead of putting on real expectations. And I was just ready to go. I was really confident and, uh, you know, I had a much, much better uh, complete year. My 82 stats, if you go back and look at them, it's, you know, it was a toss-up for MVP. I only had 109 RBIs and hit 280-something. So it was kind of an, a weird year, and I was lucky to win. I, f- I feel like 83 was 
you know, a complete year. And uh, so I just, you know, I'd learned enough about baseball that it, it, it's, you know, you're either humble or you're about to be humbled. So yeah. just, just play hard, be ready. Yeah. And I really started taking everything much more serious preparation wise. Yeah. I heard somebody say there's two types of ball players, one going into a slump and one coming out of a slump because you're, you're, you're going to have that the whole time. Yeah. People, <laughs> yeah. People don't realize, I mean, I played with some natural hitters. Well, I played with one real natural hitter. Not, not that he didn't work at it, but he was Bob Horner could come down to spring training <laughs> and his swing was grooved. He, just had a short, quick swing. And I think, yeah, sometimes people don't realize that you're, you're a couple games from thinking, I forgot how to hit. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's you're just on that edge. You know, that's how hard the game is really. Were there, is there anybody in particular that you go back to and think about in your career that really kind of gave you that aha moment of, of teaching you something, maybe you're a few years into your career and you're taught something like, wow, because I see guys playing with their swing and their stance and their grip every night, you know, watching baseball as much as I do. Not just Dodgers, but baseball in general. You see guys, sure. you know, suddenly they're opening their stance and last night they weren't or their hands are higher or lower, their grip's different. Was there someone in particular that, that you can go back to that kind of gave you that aha moment that stuck with you? Well, you know, speaking, I think Cal Ripken is during my career, I, you know, I watched Cal and really every season, remember Cal, he was, oh, yeah. he was different. Yep. Uh, I didn't like to experiment too much. Once I, I figured out really the basic concepts that I could apply every night, um, things I had learned before, but I wasn't really able to apply it every single night, uh, um, till Joe Torrey came along. Um, managers back then were more involved with players hitting and everything, you know, and we really related to each other as far as hitting was concerned. And he really helped me, um, mentally, uh, there, I had a conversation with Gary Matthews. I love Gary, all of us young players with the Braves love Gary and he got traded. Wow. When was it 80 or so to the, the Phillies and all of us young players just, loved Gary you know he had swagger he'd have an honest conversation with you um he, I used to drive him crazy because I was so unemotional out there <laughs> <laughs> and uh but anyway he he came up and had a conversation with me and kind of challenged me you know he said Murph it looks like you're scared huh. up there you know I was pulling off I, I don't know look nervous whatever it was I was at first I was kind of offended but it really uh, helped me change kind of my mental feeling about myself being on the field. I was like, well, if he thinks I'm scared and I look scared, then I got to change something. Yeah. And I thanked him, you know, many years after that for that little conversation because I needed some honest kind of tough feedback. You know, you, you don't want to hear as a major league player, you look scared. Right. I mean, and it, like I said, it offended me, but I, I, a few years ago, you know, we were at an old timers thing and, you know, I, I just said, Hey, that I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Cause it, it, it's not an easy thing to say to one of your teammates, you don't, you don't look <laughs> the part right now. Yeah, exactly. But he, he had, you know, he was, he's a great guy and I love playing with him. Yeah, and, and so he, much of, he really helped a lot of us young players just 
you know, he, and that, you know, he got the nickname Sarge mm -hmm. in Philly from Pete Rose. And that's just kind of Gary. That's what I've heard. Anyway, Gary's just kind of like, you know, wasn't afraid to say anything and, and great teammate. Yeah, they say that a lot of the games, just like life, is mental. I mean, you got a lot of guys. I mean, I worked in minor league baseball for a few years, and I think the difference in the fundamentals and the skill sets of some of the guys that were in independent ball playing with me, really the big deal difference was the mental capacity and that ability to, you know, shake off a slump or take the advice from a, a teammate who says, hey, you look scared. And if you're, if you're looking scared to a teammate, you know, the minute a pitcher thinks he's got you, he's got you. You know, I, I always think you're exactly right. Yeah, everybody's got talent in the major leagues. What's the separator? Yeah, it's up here between the ears, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's not that you're smarter. It's just that you you literally are mentally tough because yesterday was a crummy game. Mm -hmm. You know, are you going to approach today's game like yesterday was a crummy game? Or are you going to approach today like, you know, you're the best player on the field? Yeah, and that is hard, very hard to do. Uh, inning to game to game, inning to inning, at bat to at bat, because as everybody knows, watch baseball, you're going to mess up most of the time. Yeah, and, seventy percent uh, of the time you fail, you're going to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, getting back to the Hall of Fame, my career average is two sixty five. <laughs> um, if if I if I'd had a three hundred batting average like you were saying, yeah, I'd, I'd probably be in there. I'd have more home runs, twenty more uh, twenty more infield singles, right? A year, yeah, right, absolutely. Um, and so yeah, it, uh, it, it what getting back to what's the separator uh, is the mental capacity just to roll with the punches. And I know that that sound, you know, you can say, you know. Uh, it's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get up. All those kind of sayings like that are so true. Yeah. There's a reason why those sayings are so popular. It's because they are true. Very true. Think about the last time you bought a gift for a friend or family member. The better you know them, the easier it was to get them something memorable, right? Well, it's the same for brands that want to deliver memorable customer experiences. The better they know their customers, the more likely they are to establish strong relationships, exceed expectations, and build loyalty. At McKenzie, that's what we do. We empower brands to understand and connect with the person behind the purchase, so their customer experiences are meaningful, unique, and truly valuable. Learn more at McKenzieCorp.com. If you were to look back and kind of sum up someone who's never heard of Dale Murphy and you're talking about your 18 year career in the big leagues, not, you know, we're going to get into Nancy and the eight kids and the 15 grandkids and the companies and all these other amazing things in your life. How would you sum up? And I'm sure it's probably come up before, you know, I talked with my college students about elevator pitch, you know, you're on an elevator for 60 seconds with someone and you get to tell them what you do or what you did. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for your baseball elevator pitch necessarily, but how would you sum up Dale Murphy, the ball player, just as you think back about those 18 years? Well, I, I think about Gary Matthews' statement that, you know, uh, well, let me see, uh, that I, I don't show a lot of motion out there. I, th I think Mike Schmidt is probably a, a player that's comparable to my mental approach. But I guess what I would say is, is I was a ball player that, that, was, that had that fire burning inside, but you may have not noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, are, you, are you happy? Show your face, as people say, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right, yeah. right. Like when I was on second, 
I mean, when I was on first, I, I seriously was as a, back then when you could make contact with this, the shortstop and the second baseman, I, I really wanted to knock that guy over within, mm. within the rules yeah. by sliding. I'm not talking about, you know, knock him, but, but when I was out there and I was going down to take out a guy at second base, I, I really wanted to get it, <laughs> like <that, laughs> yeah. you know, and people probably wouldn't notice that. Uh, or, or the fact that I was nervous every time out there, I guess, I uh, so my my pitch would be I I I had that fire burning inside you probably wouldn't notice it and um, and uh, uh, a very uh, grateful and humble player to looking back now that I was able to do that. So you can always speak for you, but big leaguers in general too. When you're you use the word nervous a couple of times, what are you nervous about? Is it failure? Is it Fastball to the forehead. I mean, what are the things that make you nervous when you're up to bat or on first or just in the ball game in general? I'm curious because yeah, we see these big leaders. You know, I was at the game last night watching the Braves and the Dodgers, and I'm watching, you know, guys from both teams. And Freddie Freeman's one of my all-time favorites, and he plays for the other guy. But I look at this guy, and he just seems so loose and relaxed. But I'm curious, you know, what's going through a ball player's head who's up there at the plate, you know, or, or just yeah. in general? <laughs> yeah, that's a good – what is going – through your head and Freddie is that's you know you're kind of you're kind of your personality anyway when you get out there but you do have to find your method to relax because baseball is definitely a game where where um you, uh, 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 you have to have a certain looseness uh, as opposed to say football you have to be tightly wound you know mm -hmm. uh to play that game but baseball like golf you 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 got to have an intensity and a concentration, but you got to have a, a, a looseness. Um, so you, you want to look loose and confident, but what's going, um, what are you, what are you scared of? Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, getting hit by a baseball is never fun. Yeah. You know, some guys are wild and you go up there and you're thinking this guy could hit me. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those are the things that, you know, with time, you they do you you're able to kind of block that out or you'd never get a hit uh but i'd say mostly nervous is just getting that hit mm -hmm. performing because performance just getting that hit because if you don't get that hit you know you're going to have a bad review on your performance the next day uh i played in an era that was compared to today's era benign as far yeah. as you with social media, I would not have been able to handle that. Uh, and so it, 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 it's just a nervous, it's the competition, the nervousness, the, 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 the point of the game where you want to prove you're better than that other guy and your adrenaline just gets going. I, I was nervous in spring training. Yeah. I, I never really got on the field without some butterflies. You just do not want to fail. So I guess that's a, you know, fear of failure, there's fear of success. Yeah, exactly. What's going to be in the newspaper the next day? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. okay, so the 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 best pitcher that I owned was, who's that one guy that he owned the league, but somehow you were in his head and you got him? I've talked to guys that I've, you've never heard of who hit like 380 off Nolan Ryan, but couldn't hit a buck yeah. 20 off anybody else. Who was the guy, Tommy Hutton off of Tom Seaver? It like 400. <laughs> exactly. I remember that's right. That's right. Yeah. If, if Tommy Hutton was all guys in ball, baseball, no one's ever heard of Tom Seaver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, with a career average of, uh, in the two sixties, I didn't, you know, there were not a lot of guys I hit 300 off of. I mean, there are probably, I, I remember one year against a guy named Andy McGaffigan. I, I hit, I hit four or five home runs off him in one year. And I think he was with the giants and then he got traded to Montreal and I faced him again. I should have hit two more. <laughs> it just was one of those years. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you a name, Ed, that I hit 300 off my career and it's Fernando. Nice. Right on. Everybody else, you know, uh, but Fernando was left-handed and, but all those right-handers, Hershiser, Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richard, uh, Greg Maddox. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have a lot to brag about. You know, they say that if you hit, you hit a home run off someone, you can say you got them in their book. Hmm. And uh, off of those guys, I'll just say it's a pretty short story. It's a short story. That's it. It's yeah. not even a chapter. Yeah. That's awesome. So you guys are, <clears throat> you're televised on TBS, which as we talked about is on everybody's cable TV network all through the eighties. So everywhere you go, people are watching the Braves game. So your, your LDS, we'll talk about your faith here in a little bit. So I know part of the, part of my love for you as a ball player, as I was LDS, you know, in the heyday of my church days back from my mission and, and really strong back then. And, and um, so, you know, you were, you, you had kind of had a hometown feel everywhere you went in some ways, I would imagine not only because of your religious background for you personally, but the fact that there are people all over the country who are watching you play every day. What was that like just you know, on the road and the Braves probably have a little bit more fame than a lot of the other teams other than maybe the Cubs for similar reasons. What was that like going into just, you know, Montreal on a Tuesday or LA or, or you know, wherever and having just that exposure? What, can you talk about that at all for you and for the Braves and what that was like? Yeah, it was weird, really. Um, it, it just snowballed, you know, Ted Turner had this idea to put us on every night and people were like, you can't put a team on every, you know, every night, uh, especially the home games. You can't do that. I mean, that's, that's like, it's going to be. No bad. one will go to the game if they can watch on TV was the thinking before, right? It, it, exactly. So what they found is that when you're good, people want to be a part of that, mm -hmm. what they're seeing on TV. So they they'll go to your games, even if they're on TV. But then on the road, yeah, I was I was down at the wharf in San Francisco, walking on the wharf, you know, uh, in, with my dad in San Francisco. And someone walked by and goes, "Hey, Dale Murphy." <laughs> and my after the conversation was over, my dad goes, "Wait a minute, you know, it's the weirdest." <laughs> You're three thousand miles a, away from home. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so that that was the kind of thing that when we were good in the early '80s, it just was a it was a lot of fun and that foundation of Braves quote unquote country is, is still there that Ted had this vision of putting us on every day. In fact, when he first got there, he'd replay the game at two in the morning. Hmm. And uh, that wasn't a lot of fun to watch for people, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Ed, it, it, it was just great. It's Ed, I, I speak all over the country and, and travel, et cetera, and have a lot of fun, but, there is not a community that uh, um, uh, uh, Glenn Hubbard mm -hmm. could not go to that people would say, oh, he's my favorite second baseman growing up. I mean, if they had TBS, yeah. we were on, we were just on, yep. uh, on TV. So people would like, well, let's watch it. And then what kind of brought him into it was 
was uh, we started playing better. But our broadcasters, uh, Pete Van Weren, Ernie Johnson, and Skip Carey, brought those people a hometown broadcast and endeared them to us as players just by all the stories they traveled with us. You know, uh, they kept it entertaining when we weren't good. And so that's that was the story, Ed. It, I, I gave a talk in Fargo, North Dakota <laughs> a few years ago. And afterwards, I'm talking to a lady. She goes, oh, yeah, huge Braves fan. I live 30 miles from here. I'm like 30 miles, out, you know, from Fargo. Yeah. And she said, you know, Ice Cream and Burger Place Dairy Queen, when they had the Major League Baseball helmet Sundays, uh, they were going to have some Braves hats, little Sundays in these little miniature helmets. I stole a horse <laughs> and I rode 10 miles to the nearest 7-Eleven. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just a really unique time because those people that had cable TV that were not close to a major market, and even if they were, we were on TV more than their home team. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden we go to St. Louis, uh, and there's 10,000 Braves fans there. You know, we hear that cheer. And and I don't know, I'm curious, Ed, do you do you notice when the Brit I know you notice when the Cubs come to LA, mm -hmm. right? There's yeah, there's Cub fans. Sure. Uh, I mean, Cubs, Yankees, of course the Dodgers when they come, you know, when they travel. But there's there there started to be this thing with the Atlanta Braves. And I think Wright Thompson in, in his article for ESPN uh, said it best. Actually, I got the phrase from a fan. It said, I'm a TVS kid. Yeah, That's, exactly. I'm a TVS kid. Yep. That's what we want. Generation Murphy. That's what the yeah, was, writes in that article. Too. Right, I love that. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I saw it last good. night. I mean, it, we were second deck right behind home plate, good seats, and and uh, a lot of Braves jerseys. You know, the Dodgers were up 2 nothing until the seventh, and the Braves caught the Dodgers and then took a one-run lead. And it's pretty loud. And yeah, I do notice. I know going back to the whole 7-Eleven thing too, I, I would get those little Sundays at 7-Eleven and you had four choices, basically. You had a Dodger helmet, you had an Angel helmet, because I'm right here in yeah. Southern California. You had a Cubs helmet and you had a Braves helmet. Really? There, you, you really had to search to get another one. But, you know, it was like you, it's, every city had two home teams, three home teams, Cubs, Braves, and whoever their home team yeah. was. And, the, and like you said, the Cubs. Of course, the Cubs were playing all day games. Yeah. So people would go, oh, man. <laughs> You know, Ryan Sandberg in the day and Dale Murphy yeah. at night. And so I'm just so thankful because now, well, since I've been retired, I've been able to travel and there's a connection uh, with, with Braves fans because of Ted Turner. And I'll just say this, speaking about the Hall of Fame, Ted Turner should be in mm -hmm. and Skip, Pete, and Ernie should be in. Yeah. Look what, what Ted and those announcers and did to grow the game of baseball. I mean – it, it is remarkable when you get into thinking about bringing baseball to ev everywhere in America. Yeah, the impact um, they made on the game. Absolutely. And, and there's, you know, uh, you know I'll, I'll still run into people, man, diehard Braves fan. I'm yeah. like, why? <laughs> why? You live in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's Again, like, if you're in Atlanta or Nashville yeah. or Mississippi. But absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we weren't that good, Ed. Really. We were, we had two or three good years, but we didn't have world series teams where, where, where you could remember the lineup of that world series team, you know, in, uh, in uh, Philly in 80 or something like that. Mm -hmm. We got to the playoffs and got swept once 
but people remember our lineup like we were one of the best teams ever. It's You're just in our living because, room every day, yeah. Yeah, they, they were there, and they loved those days. They were growing up, uh, and so it's just a, it's a fun thing. But I, I, you know, someone, I was like, why, why did you guys like watching this? And I heard someone in another conversation about a separate thing, but I thought this uh, analogy really fit. It was, he said, this guy said, uh, you know how you slow down when you see a car wreck on the freeway to watch? <laughs> nice. Yeah, you can't not watch, right? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, you, you guys were not watch. And the geography of Atlanta, Ted, somehow Ted you Turner. were in the, I was going to say, somehow you were in the National yeah. League West in those days, too. So that's one reason why we well, that, yeah, yeah. that That was completely strange. Yeah. What were you say about Turner? Well, uh, what was it? Oh, Ted came talking about a tr uh, car wreck, Ted Ted got on the loudspeaker at Fulton County Stadium. I wasn't there in AAA, though. It was 77. And apologized while the wow. team is on the field oh between innings. Apologized for the team's play and gave everybody a rain check. I mean, wow. <laughs> there were there were, there were were uh, some some uh, some crazy, uh, crazy things. A, a lot of train wrecks, car wrecks, whatever you want to say that uh, – we went through that kept it entertaining. So last question then on that, I wasn't going to go here, but how do you keep it competitive when the team isn't that good? I mean, it's easy to see, you know, a team in the pennant race and the players elevating their game because they're playing for something bigger than just my stats or for today's yeah. game. How do you win five silver slugger awards and, and gold gloves and back-to-back -back MVPs, you know, and keep that competitive fire to use the term that you used a moment ago when the team isn't really competing for a championship? Well, I think I, I I think you could look at my awards and numbers. We we were pretty good during those years. Yeah. And the other, it, what I learned is, uh, when you're a pennant contender, it's just a lot more fun to show up to the ballpark. Yeah. And so your play is better. Every, you know, there's just it's, it just gets better. You you just want to show up to the ballpark. You're going to win. Everybody's happy when you're winning. I had dinner with Bob. Horner the other day, literally just two nights ago, he came from Arizona State, where they lost twelve games in four years. Yeah, national championship. He's the player of the year to a team that's going to lose a hundred games. You know, his first three years, and he said it was it was just not fun. You do it because you know I still had butterflies during that time, but. It's really hard not to get selfish during those times. It's just so much more fun to play on a contender. Yeah, I would imagine so. It looks like I watch the teams that are contending and the teams that are not, and you can just see. So does chemistry create winning or does winning create chemistry? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes to yeah, both. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. chemistry, yeah. Yes and yes. Chemistry is, uh, I think fans kind of say, well, you know, you're the best team. I was like, no, there's been a lot of good teams that don't win. And there's something, there's a relationship, I think, has to happen. Your manager and your players that, you know, have to have that chemistry. And that's why, that's why you get all these people from all over the world and different, uh, different uh, personalities, because that's what chemistry is. You mix things together and there's a spark. Uh, you need that. You need one. 
it's it's like if there was a team of a bunch of me's that that team would not be very would not have chemistry (laughs) you know you need you you need a you need a mix and a match and uh and i truly believe that some players uh bring chemistry to teams and are just charismatic whatever you want to call it and are really valuable uh, for those reasons, as well as their performance. Hello, my name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA Private Client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I have always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled, creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA Private Client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit CaliforniaLoveDrop.org. I'm just curious. I'm, I'm curious how all those years of, of your career and, you know, successes and failures on the field prepared you for life after baseball, as far as, you know, in leadership roles that you're in now. We'll talk about what you're doing now in your career as a dad, as a grandpa, as a husband. How, how did the, your experience on the field prepare you for life now? Well, that is a great question. I think it prepared me for a few keynote talks. <laughs> sure, absolutely. You got a lot of a lot of uh, stories. Yeah, but the 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 hardest thing to do, I think, is to. I, I mean, some people it comes naturally, but to 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 be a father, to be a husband, uh, to be good at that. Uh, what am I trying to say is is just completely different and uh, the first kind of selfish thing I think of is nobody gives you any accolades you know when you're changing diapers and mm-hmm. all that kind of no pats on the back and then you contrast that with going to the stadium and everybody wants your autograph yeah you know uh, so I am just I marvel and I don't know if that's a strong enough word I just shake my head when I think of what Nancy did. Yeah. Um, you know, I would not have my my career, the, the most influential person on my career was Nancy. And uh, keeping me grounded, raising those kids, uh, you know, it's a, it, my career was short, really, when you think I was done at 37. Yeah. Uh, it didn't last that long. People don't know who I am. Like, I'm not trying to sound braggy. I'm just saying all those accolades, uh, you know, uh, it's just gone to a certain extent. But with our family, we just have the, and I truly believe it's it's an eternal thing. It lasts, it's a forever thing. So I'm so thankful that Nancy recognized that and I tried, but uh, I, I don't know if it really prepared me. It did prepare me, I think, for business and some speaking moments. But I think one of the more challenging things to be in life is, is a parent and uh, raising kids and understanding, boy, having a relationship with them, their challenges. I mean, just goes on and on. And uh, um, it's, uh, it, you, just, you just don't get those accolades, that, that adrenaline <laughs> rush, you know. Sure. It's like... Hey, you were a great dad today. You know, I mean, your kids, they say it now, but back then they're like, you know, you're, you're, you're just doing it. You're sacrificing. And Nancy was the ultimate example for me. And so 
it was not an easy transition for me to retire from baseball. I thought I'd be, oh, I got my family. Can't wait to go to more little league games. But man, that was a tough transition uh, because I think it was Jim Bowden who said, you know, all these years as a pitcher, you have a grip on the baseball. But then when you're done, you find out that actually the baseball had a grip on you. Wow. Uh, it was more than what I thought it was. I had more of my identity. I still go through it, Ed. I, sure. I still do. It's, it, I, I'm not, it's great, and I'm thankful for it, but it's, it's also not real. You know, that's not really who I am. I was, I was a ball player, but ultimately, who are we? We're, we're parts of relationships in our lives families and friends, et cetera. That's, that's the most important stuff. So uh, Nancy has been a great mentor and counselor to me on that. Mm -hmm. She's a great mom and wife and yeah. she helped me through my career too. And, and then like we, we had eight kids during my career and I don't know how she did it with me, you know, gone and going in slumps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, the kids don't know if you went four for four or zero oh for four when you get home, but your wife sure does, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, she always says, you know, I had a pretty good game one afternoon, and you know, she was busy at home, and I I walked in, and you know, Nance, she remembers, you know, I I didn't even tell him good game, I just said, hey, go go change Sean's diaper. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And you know, it's kind of like, hey. You know, you forgot who I am. I hit two dingers so, today, Nancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's your job. I don't care about your job. You know, you're yeah, a family yeah. man, right? Right, right. Yeah. You've got uh, eight kids, seven boys, uh, at least three of that I know of that played football or play football. I don't know if they still, I know. This. <laughs> yeah, done now. Yeah. Yeah. What did you tell them and how do you prepare them for life as a professional athlete with your experience? Oh, wow. And football is such a different culture, but yeah, Jake, Sean, and McKay uh, all had uh, opportunities and chances. Uh, Sean got drafted in 2008 by the Dolphins. Uh, Jake was with uh, the, the Raiders in Cincinnati, I think for about three years. And McKay went to camp uh, out of college with the Rams actually, Ed. And, uh, and, they loved uh, playing, you know, division one football. I, I just, uh, I think the main thing I tried to tell them was, you know, uh, you know, re remember what's important and re remember who you are and respect all those people. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to help you. I'm, I'm talking about clubhouse, clubhouse guys, trainers, you know, res respect, you know, that's, that's the only thing I think when there's mutual respect between people, um, that's the most important thing because you just have a uniform on. That's the only thing that differentiates you from the clubhouse boy. Mm -hmm. And you're lucky to have that universe, uh, uniform on. So respect, respect the others. Don't get the big head because you're a professional athlete. No, I love that. I love that a lot. You do, um, you're working two organizations that I'm aware of, the Global Leader Group and LifeView, LifeView Technologies. Can you talk about your roles in those organizations, what they do and, and uh, how people can reach out to you in those particular roles? Absolutely, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm a, a senior partner with the Global Leader Group and one of their premier uh, speakers, keynoters. It's a, a, it's a group, a great group of very experienced people 
from uh, various uh, uh, organizations and uh, backgrounds, but they, they've gotten together and uh, um, have a, they've all, they're all so experienced that now they're sharing uh, their time in exec training, uh, executive search. There's a whole bunch of um, uh, avenues that Global Leader Group um, can help your organization and you as an executive. And you really just go to globalleadergroup.com. And then uh, Live View Technologies, yeah, during COVID, you know, my speaking and everything kind of just shut down. And Nancy said, Dale, you ought to get a job. <laughs> and uh, so uh, first I she said, wants okay. you home to change diapers. Now she wants you to leave. Huh? All right, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I could, you know, me get a job. What's uh, that? Where's my I, uniform? I, I, I do the uh, family of, of uh, one of the CEOs and founders. We've known him since we moved to Utah. I just reached out to him and it's, it's an amazing company. Uh, Live View Technologies basically is uh, remote, high definition cameras, uh, solar powered, that can be moved and, and uh, you'll see them in Walmarts and Kroger's and all over the country. And uh, so I'm uh, uh, over developing more business into the, uh, app, into the sports world and entertainment. Um, for instance, the Phillies uh, visited with them. They have two of our units that look at the parking lots that they don't have eyes on, basically. And they're solar powered, so they don't need to be plugged in anywhere. Nice. It's, a, it's a fascinating uh, uh, space in the security um, world. So I'm, you know, they've been great. It's been a lot of fun. Had some good conversations with big sports uh, teams. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs use our product for traffic flow after the games. And so those are the two main groups I'm working with. And, and I can't forget Murph's Restaurant. My That's restaurant. I was going to, I'd bring it up if you didn't. Absolutely. Just outside, yeah. or in Atlanta, just near the stadium, right? Is it yeah, near the new uh, stadium? Yes. It's about a 10 minute walk from the stadium. It's, it, we got great food. I got a great manager, uh, Chuck, and, uh, and uh, it's just, it's fun. I got two, two great partners, Chuck Douglas, our manager, and Matt Helms. We've had a great time. Um, tough business. But we yeah. got a lot of memorabilia there, so we have a lot of fun. Fun. I'll bet that was a, you know, you talk COVID. Certainly everything got hit hard during COVID. Yes. I'm sure your restaurant didn't, uh, didn't dodge we're, those punches either. We're still rebounding. We're yeah. still we're still going, and uh, yeah, very very tough uh, part of our economy took a big hit. So I've I've learned a lot. It's a very challenging and hard work, and that's that's why I'm not there every day. I can't I is can't there, work that hard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Really. Hats off to those that do. So, is there any big lesson in the last eighteen months with COVID that you've learned about you, about business, or anything in particular that you're going to take with you going forward? That's Really been a great lesson for you. Um, I think uh, I think it's all been a, a, for all of us. We've all had a time of some serious reflection um, of things that we uh, maybe weren't doing that we ended up doing doing during COVID. For instance, spending a lot of time with our families, um, and uh, I think it's given us a chance to think to ourselves. Are, re are we really connected to those people that we need to be connected to as opposed to what we do for a living, which is critical, but people and relationships is really what brings joy and happiness to our lives. 
and maybe we were missing out on some of that. So I, I, uh, I'll say this too, we lost our brother-in-law in Georgia to COVID and just a, a tragic thing. Uh, we were kind of going along, our family hadn't been hit by this very hard. And then this happened and a lot of people have been through a lot of things the last 18 months, but uh, you know, our relationships, our faith and our, you know, the people in our lives, that's what we need to, to nurture and strengthen those yeah. relationships. Awesome. I appreciate that. I know your faith is very important to you. Um, I alluded to it earlier in the conversation. You converted to the LDS church uh, in your late teens, I believe. You and, and Nancy served, for those that don't know, uh, the Mormon church is really big on sending missionaries all over the world. Uh, when I was, I was Mormon and Dale and I've talked about that prior to this conversation in the past, we won't go there today, but um, I served my mission in Ecuador. I was in Boston on a business trip. I told you this story a couple oh, months yeah. ago. I'm in Boston on a train going from point A to point B and, and just in my suit, leaving meetings from somewhere. I think I was at Fenway Park because they were one of my clients at that time. And um, saw two sister missionaries who were serving there. I said, hey, I think I know the guy or know of, I didn't know you then, but know of the guy who's your mission president. The president's the guy in charge of the, the whole mission. Of what, 300 missionaries or so, give or take. And uh, one of the sisters pulled a baseball out of her purse that you'd autographed and said, yeah, he gives us an autograph. I think she was getting it for her dad for Father's Day or something. Can you talk about that experience and how you and Nancy made that decision and maybe some experiences from, from those three years that have, have changed your life? Yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, it was a, a, I was not experienced uh, organizationally to do that, mm -hmm. to to organized and keep organized uh, <laughs> 200 missionaries uh, but we actually had around over we had over 600 as we look back over those three years so it was a very challenging thing for me or organizationally just uh, you know as a ball player um, <laughs> but spiritually it was it was just just a tremendous experience to see these these young people um, be so dedicated and their faith and uh, sharing, you know, what, what uh, we believe as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was just, I guess that's the best way to say it. We had it very challenging, had a lot of highs and, and a lot of lows, um, but overall in that part of the country too, it was fantastic. We just had a tremendous experience. Um, speaking of autographs, you know, I didn't want to go there as a mm -hmm. baseball player, yeah. but you know, I said, you know, I wanted to sign some autographs for the kids, uh, for the missionaries. And one day at a at a, a local meeting, what we call zone conference, missionaries came up with all these baseball cards, and they're they're on a stipend. You know, they don't have very much money. I was like, hey, hey, uh, elders, which we call the the uh, the the young men missionaries. I go, elders, you can't be spending your your money on these baseball cards. They go, oh, that's okay, present. These only cost us 10 cents. So. <laughs> that brought you down a notch, huh? <laughs> That's awesome. I was like, okay, okay. Uh, but we had, we brought the missionaries to a couple Red Sox games. And, and uh, so overall, it was, it was just a fantastic experience. As you mentioned, I, I'm a convert to the church. So I joined when I was 19 playing ball. So I continued on with my baseball. I didn't have a chance to serve, you know, as a young man, as a missionary. So I learned a lot. It was, it was a great experience. How did you meet Nancy? Well, I 
mentioned, I'm a convert to the church uh, when I was 19, and, and when I was uh, 22, 20, or I can't remember now, 1978, yeah, I was 22, people said, you should go to BYU. Um, a lot of uh, young LDS youth there, <laughs> girls. <laughs> yeah, that's what they really meant. Yeah, <laughs> and you should go, you know, socialize, so I did, and that's where Nancy and I met off-season during 1978 and uh, then we got married in October of 79 after the 79 season eight kids later 15 grandkids you've got a good life Dale you've uh you've, you've lived the dream that a lot of us had to play in professional ball you've got a tremendous family you've got this great heritage you're doing a lot of really great things for a lot of great people if you were to look back at your let's talk professional life first and then we'll wrap it up with the, with the personal side what are you most proud of in your career, whether it's what you're doing now or what you did in the in the stadiums across America? When you look back, if there's something that you look back and just say, wow, I hang my hat on that. I think, Ed, you know, people ask me what it what it takes to make it. And like, well, you gotta have talent, you know, and but you gotta have you, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, you got to have some blessings, breaks, luck. And, and I had a lot of people hang in there with me through my career. I'd have to say the one thing I wanted to do a few times that I didn't do that I'm probably most proud of, I guess, is I didn't quit because I had some rough years in the minor leagues and my, you know, I, I think that's it. Ed. I just, I just kept showing up and I was very thankful that, it worked out like it did because uh, I mean, there were times when I just didn't think it was going to work out really, as far as baseball is concerned. And, you know, uh, nowadays I'm thankful to be busy and doing things. Uh, but, you know, family, I'm just so thankful that it keeps me focused. It keeps me centered. And now I'm a grandpa Ed, and, you know, uh, uh, and I think, you know, you know what that's like as well. It's a great, it's unreal. Yeah. I mean, it's just a blessing of, you know, having families. And, and so I, I'm just thankful to, you know, be married to Nancy and have what we have in our family. Uh, we got good kids. They do a lot of different things. Um, and there's, and, and their, their uh, spouses, we're just very, very blessed. And, and that's what, you know, I'm just, I, I didn't have anything to do with it really huh. well i think you had more to do it than you realized but yeah i, 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 I think fancy for but really being a dad and a grandpa you know being a grandpa you know it's like you don't want to be one because it means you're old yeah exactly until you're a grandpa then it's like yeah. no this is i tell people it's like being a dh you know <laughs> i love it yeah you only have to do one thing right one thing <laughs> love the kids. Buy, buy them ice cream there you go. Sugar them up and pass them back to the parents, right? That's our job as grandparents. I love it. Yeah, we've got seven of them ourselves, seven boys. And, yes. Uh, it, it's our, our oldest is going to be ten tomorrow, which is crazy to think I got a ten-year-old grandson tomorrow. That's but, awesome. Uh, no, it, yeah. it really is. It's hard to describe, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It, it's just it. It's anyway. It's 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 fun. It's fun. A good buddy of mine, John Holland, who will hear this interview, LDS guy that I've known for a long, long time. Big fan of yours, by the way. Uh, John has said, you know, we were talking when we first became grandpas a few years ago, and, and I loved what he said, and I'll paraphrase it because I don't remember the exact words, but 
basically the, the, the reason why grandparenting is so much more fun than parenting is we get to love them without all of the worry. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I still worry about my grandkids, but not oh, like sure. I worried about my own kids. And I, I think that's a really good way to sum it up. But you're, you're right. It's a, it's a really unique feeling. It's hard to describe, but man, when you, when you're in your thirties, you're like grandpa. Jeez, yeah. How, how old are, oh, I remember my grandpa. Huh. He was old. He had to be like 55. <laughs> Oh, I got to tell you, in 19, so I graduated high school in 1982, and in 2012, so what would that be, 30 years later, I went back to my old high school here in Fullerton, Southern California, we had a really good ball team, and in 2012, I went um, and just sat and watched a couple innings of a game, and one of the guys turns to me, a dad in the stands, and says, so what's your tie to the team? I said, well, actually, I played here on this same field 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, okay, and we continued the conversation, but I'm thinking at that point, okay, in 1982, if someone came out to watch a ball game and said, yeah, I played here 30 years ago, I'd be thinking, wait, that was 1952. How are you still alive? <laughs> you know? it's like, that's just crazy to think if we go back 30 years to think oh, yeah. where it was from there. So, No, you're right. Yeah. Did anything in your career surprise you? Anything like I, I'm going over and I, two last questions after this, but you look back at that 18 year big league career. Was there anything when I say, does any, did anything surprise you? Does anything come, anything come to mind at all? Other than the fact uh, that you got to do it for 18 years. You know, that's, that's a, a, a great question. I'd have to, I'd have to think probably to give you a, a good answer. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But, I threw a, threw a curveball when you were looking for a fastball down the middle. You're right. I'm, I mean, a, an in-depth answer um, surprises. Um, uh, you know, it was a surprise and a shock because remember we had game of the week, you know, Ed, we had, and I, and then all of a sudden I'm on the same field in a relatively short period of time with Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and yeah. the big red machine. I mean, it, it, you know, it, the word surreal gets used, but it was, it, it shocked me and it took me time to settle down and say, no, you can actually hit this guy named Don Gullett <laughs> who just, you know, did whatever he did, you know, for the big red machine. I mean, I'm facing Don Gullett. What, what yeah. happened? How'd this happen? Uh, I mean, that's a, 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 a that's a, a normal, that's a normal thing that a lot of guys go through. So it's not really a surprise, but it just, it caught me way off guard digging yeah. Digging in the batter's box and Johnny Bench is given signs. You know how yeah. it was weird. Uh, I I don't know. Next time I'm on the podcast, Ed, I'm going to come up with a better answer. But all right, uh, um, surprises. I'm, I'm going to think about. It. I've never been asked that. All right. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll think of a few more questions that might stump you too. That's all right. That's uh, this has been absolutely. Such a, I'd, I'd I'd love to I'd love to come on. But I'm not coming on the next time the Braves have lost three in a row to the Dodgers. There you go. That's all right. We'll wait till the Braves, you know, yeah. go, go to San Francisco and sweep the Giants for me or something, would you? Come on uh, now. Yeah. <laughs> is that where the Braves are going right now? No, I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure where they're going. No, the Dodgers and Giants are this weekend. So this is our oh, big rivalry wow. weekend up in the Bay Area. So, oh, yeah. That's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. As the time we record this, the Dodgers have a half game lead over the Giants. So, you know, I'm, I'm gloating a little bit this morning. But uh, oh, that's, that's okay. it was fun because last night, you know, it's hard to sit there and root against the team 
of the guy who you're going to be interviewing on the podcast tomorrow, you know, <laughs> and I'm texting you during the game last night, like making little wagers with you and stuff. So that was pretty fun. appreciate you responding to those texts last night. That was pretty Yeah. Fun. Well, you're a Dodger fan. I, I, I know am. a lot of Dodger fans. Yeah. It's you guys, Cub fans, Yankee fans, Cardinal fans. I mean, there's, yeah. there, there's no movement in there. Yeah. How'd you know when it was time to hang it up? You said you retired at 37 and I know, Nancy's reaction when you hung it up was very similar to what to my wife Lorianne's reaction after only three years of running a minor league baseball team. Her response was, "Thank God, now you can go get a big boy job." I don't know if Nancy's words were that, but I know there was some relief because you know, home with eight kids and you're on the road half the you know from from February to October half of the time you're on the road. What was her reaction, and when did you know it was time to hang it up, and why? Well, half the time you're on the road, and the other half you're you're thinking about the game. So yeah. you're not really there. <laughs> yeah, sure. You're not present. Yeah. So, uh, well, 93 in April, May, I retired. Uh, Nance was pregnant with our daughter, Madison, our eighth child. So mm. she was uh, elated, yeah. excited. She would have done backflips if she could have. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yeah. But it was... Uh, uh, I said it earlier, it was hard. It was more emotional than I ever thought it would be. And it was, uh, uh, it, it was just a lot harder than I ever thought stepping away from the game was because I always had this thing in my mind. No, I'm centered. Family's first. This is going to be fun. And uh, it was a, a much more of adjustment than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. What do you miss the most from playing? Everybody, I ask that question. I almost don't want to ask it because almost every time it's the camaraderie with the guys in the clubhouse and the road. Is that the same for you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now when I get to, like I said, I mentioned I had a dinner with Bob Horner. Uh, Nance and I met with Chris and Bob Horner. I mean, it, it, it's, it's exactly what it is. I think really whatever job you have when you work as a team, you know, there's some team components to that. When you retire and get away from that, you're, you, you missed that. There is something. And I think COVID, although a lot of us working from home, there is something to being a part of a team. It's fun. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of energy and, and, and um, things that happen that can't happen in another way. So, yeah, it's you don't think about the good games and you don't think about games or, you know, you just think about seeing guys and that we went through this thing together. Yeah. And and. Uh, Dave Parker, I was at an old timers game or a celebrity softball game, <laughs> actually. Uh, I can't remember the details, but Dave Parker was in there and he's getting on everybody. I mean, the clubhouse kid, he's getting on him about something. It's that sarcastic humor that really doesn't go very far outside of a clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I remember he goes, this is what I miss. He goes, I don't, I don't miss anything except getting on guys in the locker room about silly stuff. Yeah. Your body hurts out on the field, but not in the clubhouse. Right. 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 Yeah. Everybody's, awesome. everybody's a target. Doesn't yeah. matter who you are. You know, if you're the highest paid guy. I mean, you know, I got award or team party. I don't know what year it was 84. I got two separate awards at our team party. Uh, the hat trick award for most <laughs> strikeouts. Nice. And I got a nice little trophy. I got it somewhere here. And team, team slob. Yeah, nice. <laughs> you thought you were all disciplined and organized yeah. and everything. I nope. I was wearing stylish clothes. No. Yeah. Oh, how team funny. Slob. They voted on it, Murph. That's awesome. 
So two last questions and I'll let you go. And there will be a, a part two to this. I'd love to dive deeper into, you know, just a few things, you know, maybe if the Dodgers and Braves get each other again in the playoffs, we can have a little conversation again there, either pre That'd or post. Fun. Yeah. I, I had a chance to interview Charlie Huff uh, last year, right before the Dodgers went into the world series and Fred Clara, the old Dodger general manager oh, yeah. as well. I hate to use that word old with Fred. Sorry, Fred didn't mean old, but you know, we're all, well, we're all old now at this point. Great so guy. I, yeah. Yeah. Hello, uh, Fred, if you're listening. Fred's a good, good okay. man. And and Charlie and I worked together for a season in minor league baseball. He was my pitching coach. Really great guy. What's what's uh what's next for you? What does uh, you get what what excites you the most? You're a couple years older than me, early sixties. I'm just gonna leave it at that. People can do the math. What's next and exciting for Dale, Dale and Nancy, the Murphy clan, professionally, anything? When you're when you're thinking about out there a little bit, what is it that really, really lights you up? Wow, that's another good question. Um, uh, really just, uh, I don't have anything new on my plate. Uh, the things we talked about, the organizations I'm involved with, I'm just looking forward to, uh, you know, the whole country really, and all of us getting back to a, a normal kind of thing that we that we've experienced with this COVID thing has been a challenging thing. There's a lot of things going on, you know, in our country and the world. Uh, so I'm just looking forward to that. Uh, I'm looking forward to my next golf game, Ed. I uh, mm. am like everybody else during this COVID. We've all come back to golf. <laughs> yep, exactly. That's right. Last thing to go and first thing to come back, right? I was that, golfing. That's right. I was, so, playing, I was playing golf I, real fast on golf. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was playing golf. Nope the week that we were all sent home from work and I've got a couple of buddies that I went to high school with and a couple of former teammates. And, um, we were playing just one of our local courses. And I remember we were even questioning, should we play? Because we don't know if COVID's like floating around in the air or what is this thing called COVID? Yeah. Am I going to get it by sneezing or, you know, whatever, but, um, we're, we're on the green on one hole and it's this little neighborhood with a side street by the green and some guy in a van drives by and yells out, go home, you morons. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know if he's calling us morons because we're golfing or more that could have been it or morons because we're golfing during COVID but yeah certainly that was one of the last things to, that we had to let go of one of the first things to get back so we'll have to play some golf together for sure yeah absolutely absolutely but uh really just enjoying things I'm doing and and the grandkids you know really it's just fun to see them grow up and they're I'm just astonished at how fast they're growing too man our kids grew up fast and he's grandkids and uh but i don't have any new projects ed but when i want to announce you know if i'm running for congress or something i'll you'll be the first one i call i'm kidding all right i'm there not you go. Getting involved in politics uh so I, I don't have any big big things going on now i'm not getting involved in politics famous last words of every politician right <laughs> not doing it all right so i'm going to finish the, the podcast with the same question that I ask all of my guests and it's sort of redundant because we just spent an hour answering these questions, but uh, I'll just ask it like this. Dale Murphy, what's in your heart? What's in my heart? Um, I, uh, it, I, as I mentioned before, uh, the older I get um, and, and during this last 18 months with COVID and all that's been going on, I think, you know, I think about, Gosh, that just sounds kind of different, but I think about my mortality. And Nancy and I talk a lot about 
man, we we're we're sixty five. We we uh, we got to take advantage of the years that are. You know, look at the last twenty years. The next twenty is going to go faster than the last twenty years. So in my heart, I am I'm a a, a grateful, thankful person, and uh, um, you know we. Uh, that's 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 I guess what's in my heart. I'm thankful. I'm uh, becoming a little bit more aware of, you know, what's going on in my surroundings because I'm, I'm older. You know, I can't do things, but I think differently now because time is of the essence. Whereas I should have had that mind frame much earlier. The earlier you can get that mind frame is better, but. Being 65, uh, I think that's what's in my heart too, is that, uh, um, wow, th this is a really important moment. Today is a really important time. Whatever happens today is special.